It's a beautiful day, beautiful weather. I can't believe it's already halfway through October. Time flies when you're having, when you're having fun. At least I'm having fun. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Speaking of time flying fast, really that's all the more reason why we should follow through. Right? We should follow through on our convictions and our commitments and our studies. And that kind of brings us to our topic today and, and this morning is how do we follow through? There's so many things that we should see through to the very end. Right? Everyone has something that we're working on that we haven't started. Right? How many people have unfinished projects? There's a lot of us, right? There's everyone start. It's exciting to start. We want to start, but it takes work to finish, right? It's intriguing to listen and to take in, but as we know, it takes effort to apply that. I'm not talking about tips, right? That's what our culture is all about these days. It's just finding that one tip that's going to, you know, change our lives. We hear a lot of sermons all on, you know, the tip to strengthen your faith. We hear it in blogs and articles and YouTube videos, anywhere online. What is that tip? What's that tip that's going to help me stop procrastinating? That's going to help me with my finances and get it all in order to get off the couch and get in the gym? What is that thing that will change my life? But what we find is that us as humans don't rely on tips. We rely on concepts, and in turn, what tips us towards success and effectiveness is the constant practice of those concepts. I don't don't read self-help books because of that. I've tried every tip and trick under the sun, and they just don't work. And so we're here not to follow some sort of tip or trick or to create some sort of shortcut. Right, shortcuts are for Satan. That's, that's his business. Instead, we're here to take out of God's word biblical, truthful concepts that fill our life with joy and understanding. And it's the practicing of those godly perspectives and concepts that strengthen our lives and change our lives. And so last week when we had a pretty great gospel meeting with Doug Lancaster, he had some great points. I heard people say that his sermons were great, that the, his points were very thought-provoking, and I agree with him all completely. We were convicted, right? We were convicted and we were moved, but the thing is, were we moved to action? That's what this sermon is about this morning, to help take that desire that we have and not just move it to action, but move it toward completion, Living in this age of information, what we need most isn't necessarily more information. We need an understanding of why. Why are we applying this to to our lives? Why are we doing it this way? We need godly concepts that are going to give our life meaning, deep meaning. And these are the things that if we apply to our faith, it's going to help live out a more genuine faith in our lives. It's going to assist us through through those problems that we have, if we can follow through through the, the ideas and the information that we receive to follow through on those things. And so this is where we get to our text. Second Corinthians chapter 8. Second Corinthians chapter 8. Just to give you a little context here. Paul is pleading with the brothers and sisters in Corinth to give to the poor in the church in Jerusalem. And if you read earlier, the churches in Macedonia, which are filled with poor people, have already given way more than is expected of them, way more than they can afford. And the church in Corinth are a little reluctant to give. They're a little hesitant, and they live in a trade area, and they're wealthy, and they don't really want to give. They're hesitant, I should say. And so Paul makes this his mission. This challenge, if you will, for the brothers and sisters in Corinth to kind of test their faith, to kind of get them going so they can follow through, and he gives some advice. Let's start reading verses 7 through 15. 
But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what that person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, and so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left, and whoever gathered little had no lack. So there's a lot to unpack there. We're going to try to unpack it. But we start with, you know, how do we follow through? Well, it starts with conviction. It starts with passion. Now, we know that's not how we finish. We'll find out that we need something a little more than just passion. But that is a great starting place. Look at verse 7. What does Paul do? He's trying to push them to finish this task here. And how does he do it? Does he start with negativity and telling them everywhere they're going wrong, what they're doing wrong? Does he berate them by telling them they need to work harder? No, he encourages them. He says, look, I know what you're doing right. You're doing this right. You're excelling in faith and speech and knowledge and earnestness and love. That's that's the type of positive that we should have and we should be feeding to others and our brothers and sisters in Christ. But how often instead do we see, on the other hand, we see just negativity all the time. We feed ourselves negativity. I can't do that because, well, just I'm reminded of past failures, and we're constantly feeding ourselves and reminding ourselves of what we've done wrong and where we've gone wrong, and who, and who is feeding that type of negativity usually? Ourselves. Yeah, we are. We are. If we're working on that follow-through, we need to have a good stance. We need to be able to stand on solid ground, and that doesn't mean that we have to be perfect in order to apply the things that we learn or the things that we hear. If you look at the church in Corinth here, they can stand and they can work together knowing that through Paul's encouragement, they're excelling in something. They're progressing. They're successful. They're, hey, I got the confidence now to do what I need to, to finish this task, to move on to another greater task. But again, often the reason why we don't apply that information in this life is is because, well, we're reminded of past failures, Now, does that mean, again, that we have to be perfect? No, absolutely not. What we read, though, we read that word excelling, and what do we think of? We think of perfection. We think of where we are perfect, right? I'm excelling in this, and this is what I do best. But excelling doesn't just apply to our strongest attributes. It also also applies to our weakest, and we forget that sometimes. Because excelling implies improvement. Where do I need to improve? How can I improve? If we're going to follow through with our goals and our commitments and what we read in God's word, we should be striving to excel where we're weakest. And this passage is a perfect example of that. You look at verse 7 again. What does he say? Paul says, as you excel in everything, and one of those are what? One of those is earnestness. Your version might say eagerness. 
This means that there's what? There's a sense of urgency here to get the things done that they need to get done. But drop down and look at verse 10 again. How long have they been working on this project? Paul says, this benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. A year ago. So Paul made this request a year ago. And what have they been doing? They've been sitting on their hands. They've been been procrastinating. And as Paul again berate them, no, he says, look, I know you're trying. I know you're working on it. I know that you are excelling in earnestness. And so it doesn't take a lot. What we realize, it doesn't take a lot to get better at something. It just takes what we hear all the time in the self-help books. It takes, you know, baby steps. It takes little steps. But what we find in that analogy is, is, is something different. When, I, when you hear baby steps, I don't want you to think what you normally hear when you, when you think of baby steps, right? When we think of baby steps, what do we normally think of? We think of small steps over time, right? That's negative thinking. That's negative thinking. Don't think of baby steps in that sense. Think of it as consistent steps over time that turn into giant leaps. Literally, for a second, place yourselves in the shoes of a little baby learning to walk, right? Or the little feet, because they don't have any shoes at this time. They're, they're learning from crawling to walking, right? They're going from crawling to walking. Is that a little accomplishment? No, that's a huge accomplishment, Every little step that they take to that child is actually a giant leap in their growth and their development. And so, yes, take baby steps, but know that when you do, you are going further. You're doing more than you realize. And so when we think of it that way, that's how we're going to help follow through with the things that God wants us to apply to our life. So to follow through, we also have to understand, is a long-lasting commitment. Am I able to think about this strategically? Am I able to think a little further into the future in a long-term way? And when we think of it in that sense, God is asking us in a long-term way to follow through with the spiritual application and the concepts that we read about in his word. Look at verse 7 again. What does Paul call this mission? He calls this mission acts of grace or acts of kindness. Now, I actually like the ESV better, which doesn't usually happen, when it says acts of grace. Better than acts of kindness, some versions might say. Yes, acts of grace are acts of kindness. But when we hear acts of grace, we should be reminded of something much bigger. We should be reminded of acts of God. What would God do? What did God do on a larger scale when he handed us salvation? And so Paul is reminding us of that idea. And that idea of grace should, should again, Feel that reminder that we are saved. We love because God loves us. We show grace because God showed grace to us. In fact, God follows through with every one of his promises because of his grace. It's in his essence, his very being, in his nature. And so God's grace acts as a proof for our salvation. And so what should we do? We should prove of our change. Look at verses 8 through 9. Verses 8 through 9. What we find is that when we follow through, we prove to others, we prove to ourselves and to God the change in our lives. Read 2 Corinthians 8, verses 9, 8 through 9 with me. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, 
so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Notice that word at the beginning there, to prove there in verse 8. What are we proving? We're proving what we see at the end of that verse, the genuineness of our desires and our convictions. And so you think about this last year. We've had some great lessons, some great sermons from guest speakers and from people in the congregation, people like Doug Lancaster and Chris Emerson, from Nate and Caleb and John and Zach. We've had some great ones, and we're going to continue to have some great sermons at the end of this month from from Josh Weaver and from another man named Chick, uh, Chuck Durham, I think it is. And we get excited about those. That's the point. We get excited and we, we meditate on the passages that they pull out. And we talk about how amazing, profound they were. And I love it. And I do the same thing. But I don't want us to fall into the trap of doing nothing and never following through, never changing and never applying. But what I love about the people here is that they are excelling. And so this is a reminder for you this morning to keep on excelling, to keep on going. We need to keep finishing the acts of grace that God calls us to complete, to finish the task. Look at Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Justin brought this out in our class this morning. He did a great job. Luke chapter 9. Look at verses 57 through 62. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Notice that people have passions. They have desires. But there's oftentimes ulterior motives. Verse 57 of Luke chapter 9. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, It will foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So right off the bat, we are reminded that Jesus is saying, Yeah, well, prove it. Serve me. Provide a place of rest for me. And verse 59, it goes on. To another, Jesus said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now that sounds a little harsh, but it's actually not if you apply it to what he tells them in the next line. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So what he's saying is, yes, let the dead bury their dead, but go and proclaim life. Go and proclaim eternal life. Verse 61 And yet another said, I will follow you, Jesus, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, so no one puts puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. I love that line. Oftentimes we hear things and when we feel stirring within us, we feel ready to go. And so, yes, our hands are right there. They're on that plow. Finish the field. Finish plowing so that you can then sow the field, verse 60. You can proclaim the kingdom of God. We can say we're passionate about this or that, but what proof do we have if our field is empty, not ready for the crop, not ready to be planted? And so we turn back to 2 Corinthians and look at verse 9. And Paul reminds us, hey, this, this is the gospel message here. This is what eventually moved you to salvation that got you in the water. So why are you guys not practicing what you preach? Why are you not following through? And this is a reminder. In verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for, you, for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. They know this, and Paul knows that. Jesus' life, 
His sacrifice was the ultimate act of grace. And because he followed through on it, it gives meaning to every act of grace and every act of kindness that we work to complete. But we have to complete it. It is out of this view and this concept that Paul gives the advice that he does in the following verse. Verse 10. And in this matter, he says, I give my judgment Right? Judgment, advice, opinion, all the same. The point is that God's salvation, that his grace created this perception. And he wants to see it manifested in his disciples by this way. And this benefits you, he says, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it well, so that your readiness and desire it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. What benefits us? following through. He's basically saying, yes, look, our passions, our desires, that's all good. But if you don't finish and you don't use what you have and what you know and what you've learned and what you have absorbed, it doesn't matter. Verse 11, what does it say? Complete it. Now, there is a trend to not finish because we think God is asking too much of us. We think, yes, God, I know you want me to do this, and I would like to do that, but I don't know what you're thinking. I can't do that. I can't do whatever it is, blank, fill in the blank, whatever that is for you. Maybe it is proclaiming the kingdom of God. But Paul says, more than just following through, more than just finishing what we start, he says in verse 12 this, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has not according to what he does not have. God is saying, look, use what you have. God is asking us to to give and to do what we can to take the baby steps and know that with that, we are accomplishing a lot. We are still doing his work. We are excelling. Zeal is great, but it's only meaningful if it's logical and it's biblical. We don't want to bite off more than we can chew, more than we can handle. So use your readiness, your eagerness, he's saying, with your zeal in a reasonable way. Don't act rash. Don't act uncontrolled. Don't do nothing at all because that doesn't place you in a better position. That doesn't help others around you. It doesn't do anything. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you an analogy. And it's a sports analogy, Wes. So this one, this one's for you. If you know me, I know nothing about sports. So... I apologize in advance if the lingo is not right. But I want you to think of, uh, think of a pitcher and what a pitcher does. Right? He, does, he does a lot of what we already talked about. He's going to pick a pitch that he's excelling at. He's going to prove that he can accomplish what he wants with that. And it's all going to come together in the follow-through. It's going to lead to that follow-through. And the pitcher, he has his starting stance. He, he throws the ball, and you see he uses that momentum to place himself in a more strategic position. You don't see the pitcher turn around so that the ball can come back and, and hit him. That's, that's dangerous. He's watching to see, is the ball going to come towards me? Do I need to go to first? Do I need to assist? What do I need to do? He's placing himself in a more strategic position. And that's exactly what following through does for us. Following through places us in a better position than when we started. We're listening to these sermons and we're reading God's word and we apply what we learn to places that we need to excel at and we prove the application through that follow-through. And when we're done, we end up a more stronger, a more better, faithful disciple for Jesus. I don't want us to live life going from Sunday to Sunday, listening and never following through with applications and convictions. And I know that's what we don't do here. We, we work to follow through. My encouragement to you is to keep going. 
Keep excelling. Paul wants to see the church in Corinth here, if we, look at the, if we look at the context, the brothers and sisters, to follow through on their commitments, to follow through on their desires and what they had at the very beginning. I know, again, we live in this age of information, and we're overwhelmed by how much information that we have. Do you think, it almost seems like you would expect people to get smarter, but we end up not using any of that information because... Well, we just feel like we're drowning in all this information, right? We can't, we realize we can't consume and apply everything out there, and so we don't do anything. But what we have to realize is that we need to mix baby steps with reason, zeal with commitment. Take these concepts in the Bible, the biblical truth and God's word, and stand on those principles, Be smart and don't apply everything, but apply where is needed. Apply where you need to excel. And when you start, and here's the key, follow through, finish. I love Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 7, verse 8. God in his wisdom says, better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit, the patient in zeal and passion is better than the proud in spirit, the proud in zeal and passion. Following through not only places us in a position of more maturity and strength, but this is important. It also helps those around us. When we listen to a sermon, when we're convicted by something that we hear or something that that we're doing, we often think of only ourselves. And we think, well, if I don't apply this to my life, well, I can live with that consequence. And so I'm just just not going to do anything with it. But what we don't realize is that our inability to finish what we start and to follow through with what we are passionate about hurts others as well. Our brothers and sisters depend on our diligence and our maturity. And so when we grow, others grow as well. We're here together. And Paul reminds the church in Corinth of that very fact. Hey, you are not the only disciples in the world. Look at 2 Corinthians 8 verse 13. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 13. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, so that there may be fairness. Commitment, you see, commitment gets us started, but consistency helps us finish. Consistency helps us follow through. We're coming here to the end of the year, and I want us to make sure we finish what we start. The Corinthians, you know, their giving was not to be a burden, but to supply the needs to their eternal brothers and sisters there, to verse 14, to level the playing field, to make it fair, so there was fairness. And our ability to grow and mature in faith is not in a spirit of competition to think that I'm better than them or I'm going to beat them over the head, I'm a better neighbor. That's not it at all. If that's, if that's our goal, to be a better, more holy man or woman, we have missed the mark. Take the pitcher's analogy again. When he throws that ball and he ends up in a more strategic spot, what is he doing when he goes to first or he assists? He's helping the team. He's doing his job. And when he does his job, it helps everyone else around him as well. The idea of fairness is leveling the playing field so that we work together, so that we're working together toward eternity and we're working together toward Jesus, following through not only for our own benefit, but for the fairness of all in Christ. We're called to a higher calling as disciples and in our work. And yet what happens again, we get caught up in ourselves and our own progress. By all means, excel, excel. But know that 
in our excellence is a benefit for all those around us, all those in God's kingdom and our relationship with God. We see that in this text in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Following through is meant to give out of verse 14, out of our abundance. The point of this verse is not to make the Corinthians in a worse position, but to create fairness. And so when someone, we can apply it to our own lives, when someone is struggling and, and they're having a hard time succeeding and we are following through, we encourage them and vice versa. We're here to encourage each other. And all of that, all of that in the end just ends up being an accumulation of finishing this race, this great race that we call life. And I love the sports analogy Paul uses much better in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 25. When he says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run, that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable, obtain it. Obtain it, follow through and obtain it, excel, excel in self-control so that we may receive something more than just politics and wealth and power and prestige so that we can receive something that is imperishable. What is imperishable? What is imperishable is eternal and that is what we're striving for. We need an imperishable and eternal relationship with Jesus and that is why we follow through every day of our lives. It is the most valuable relationship that we have. And yet Christ, out of his poverty, made us rich and gave us salvation. And so the question that we leave you with is out of that salvation, out of that gift, what are you going to do with it? I hope it's to become a more honest, genuine person in God's kingdom and around the world that makes you and helps you follow through. I know we... We all need salvation. There may be some of you that do need that salvation today, need to step into God's grace. It's important you come forward now, you, you be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, those sins that are holding you back and keeping you from following through and, and focusing on the important things in life. That is you this morning. Come forward now while we stand and we sing.